welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone. And your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all your sisters and brothers in spirit all around the world. And we are sisters and brothers in spirit, even though mankind, more often than not, treat one another as enemies. For the divine spirit of the one living God that created us all, the one divine spirit manifesting itself in all creation, dwelling within every individual, and expressing itself through our beings, is our mighty I Am Presence. It is our life stream, and it is our connection. Therefore, whether we claim one another or not, as sisters and brothers, sisters and brothers in spirit, we are. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. Do not hesitate to aspire to the highest possible attainments in anything you may undertake, for the mind forces are ever ready to lend themselves to a purposeful will, in the effort to crystallize its highest aspirations into acts, accomplishments, and events. An illustration of how these mind forces operate is suggested by the method in which all our habits are formed. We do a thing, then do it again, and again, and again, until it becomes easy and perhaps almost automatic, and the same rule applies in breaking any and all bad habits, we stop doing a thing, and then avoid it again and again until we are entirely free from it, and if we do fail now and then, we should by no means lose hope, for the law is absolute and invincible, and gives us credit for every effort and every success, even though our efforts and successes are perhaps intermittent. There is no limit to what this law can do for you, dare to believe in your own ideal, remember that nature is plastic to the ideal, think of the ideal as an already accomplished fact. The real battle of life is one of ideas, it is being fought out by the few against the many, on the one side is the constructive and creative thought, on the other side the destructive and negative thought, the creative thought is dominated by an ideal, the passive thought is dominated by appearances. On both sides are men of science, men of letters and men of affairs. On the creative side are men who spend their time in laboratories or over microscopes and telescopes, side by side with the men who dominate the commercial, political and scientific world. On the negative side are men who spend their time investigating law and precedent, men who mistake theology for religion, statesmen who mistake might for right, and all the millions who seem to prefer precedent to progress, who are eternally looking backward instead of forward, who see only the world without but know nothing of the world within. In the last analysis there are but these two classes, all men will have to take their place on one side or the other, they will have to go forward or go back, there is no standing still in a world where all is motion, it is this attempt to stand still that gives sanction and force to arbitrary and unequal codes of law. 
That we are in a period of transition is evidenced by the unrest which is everywhere apparent. The complaint of humanity is as a roll of heaven's artillery, commencing with low and threatening notes and increasing until the sound is sent from cloud to cloud, and the lightning rends the air and earth. The sentries who patrol the most advanced outposts of the industrial, political, and religious worlds are calling anxiously to each other. What of the night? The danger and insecurity of the position they occupy and attempt to hold is becoming more apparent every hour. The dawn of a new era necessarily declares that the existing order of things cannot much longer be. The issue between the old regime and the new, the crux of the social problem, is entirely a question of conviction in the minds of the people as to the nature of the universe. When they realize that the transcendent force of spirit or mind of the cosmos is within each individual, it will be possible to frame laws that shall consider the liberties and rights of the many, instead of the privileges of the few. As long as the people regard the cosmic power as a power non-human and alien to humanity, so long will it be comparatively easy for a supposed privileged class to rule by divine right, in spite of every protest of social sentiment. The real interest of humanity is therefore to exalt, emancipate and recognize the divinity of the human spirit. To recognize that all power is from within. That no human being has any more power than any other human being, except such as may willingly be delegated to him. The old regime would have us believe that the law was superior to the lawmakers, herein is the gist of the social crime of every form of privilege and personal inequality, the institutionalizing of the fatalistic doctrine of divine election. The divine mind is the universal mind, it does not act through sheer caprice or from anger, jealousy or wrath, neither can it be flattered, cajoled or moved by sympathy or petition to supply man with some need which he thinks necessary for his happiness, or even his existence. The divine mind makes no exceptions in favor of any individual, but when the individual understands and realizes his unity with the universal principle, he will appear to be favored because he will have found the source of all health, all wealth, and all power. For your next exercise, concentrate on the truth. Try to realize that the truth shall make you free, that is, nothing can permanently stand in the way of your perfect success, when you learn to apply the scientifically correct thought methods and principles. Realize that you are eternalizing in your environment, your inherent soul potencies. Realize that the silence offers an ever-available and almost unlimited opportunity for awakening the highest conception of truth. Try to comprehend that omnipotence itself is absolute silence, all else is change, activity, limitation. Silent thought concentration is therefore the true method of reaching, awakening, and then expressing the wonderful potential power of the world within. The Master Key System, by Charles F. Honnell, 1919. Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 2 It would profit little were we to dwell much upon subjects which have been disposed of in such a masterly way by an anonymous author, whose work electrified England and Germany last year, while as regards the particular topic under notice, we cannot do better than recommend the scholarly writings of Dr. Amen. Albeit one-sided, and in many instances unjust to the ancient heathen, pagan, and Jewish religions, the facts treated in the ancient and pagan Christian symbolism are unimpeachable. Neither can we agree with some English critics who charge him with an intent to destroy Christianity. 
If by Christianity is meant the external religious forms of worship, then he certainly seeks to destroy it, for in his eyes, as well as in those of every truly religious man who has studied ancient exoteric faiths and their symbology, Christianity is pure heathenism and Catholicism with its fetish worshipping, is far worse and more pernicious than Hinduism in its most idolatrous aspect. But while denouncing the exoteric forms and unmasking the symbols, it is not the religion of Christ that the author attacks, but the artificial system of theology. We will allow him to illustrate the position in his own language and quote from his preface. When vampires were discovered by the acumen of any observer, he says, they were, we are told, ignominiously killed by a stake being driven through body, but experience showed them to have such tenacity of life that they rose, again and again, notwithstanding renewed impalement, and were not ultimately laid to rest till wholly burned. In like manner, the regenerated heathendom which dominates over the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, has risen again and again, after being transfixed. Still cherished by the many, it is denounced by the few. Amongst other accusers, I raise my voice against the paganism which exists so extensively in ecclesiastical Christianity and will do my utmost to expose the imposture. In a vampire story told in Thalaba, by Salvi, the resuscitated being takes the form of a dearly beloved maiden, and the hero is obliged to kill her with his own hand. He does so, but, whilst he strikes the form of the loved one, he feels sure that he slays only a demon. In like manner, when I endeavor to destroy the current heathenism which has assumed the garb of Christianity, I do not attack real religion. Few would accuse a workman of malignancy who cleanses from filth the surface of a noble statue. There may be some who are too nice to touch a nasty subject, yet even they will rejoice when someone else removes the dirt. Such a scavenger is wanted. But is it merely pagans and heathen that the Catholics persecute, and about whom, like Augustine, they cry to the deity, Oh, my God! So do I wish thy enemies to be slain? Oh no! Their aspirations are more mosaic and cane-like than that. It is against their next of kin in faith, against their schismatic brothers that they are now intriguing within the walls which sheltered the murderous Borgias. The larvae of the infanticidal, parasidal, and fratricidal popes have proved themselves fit counselors for the canes of Castelfidardo and Mentana. It is now the turn of the Slavonian Christians, the Oriental schismatics, the Philistines of the Greek Church. H.P. Blavatsky His Holiness the Pope, after exhausting, in a metaphor of self-laudation, every point of assimilation between the great biblical prophets and himself, has finally and truly compared himself with the patriarch Jacob wrestling against God. He now crowns the edifice of Catholic piety by openly sympathizing with the Turks. The Vicegerent of God inaugurates his infallibility by encouraging, in a true Christian spirit, the acts of that Muslim David, the modern Bashi Bazouk, and it seems as if nothing would more, please His Holiness, than to be presented by the latter with several thousands of the Bulgarian or Serbian foreskins. True to her policy to be all things to all men to promote her own interests, the Romish Church is, at this writing, 1876, benevolently viewing the Bulgarian and Serbian atrocities, and, probably, maneuvering with Turkey against Russia. Better Islam, and the hitherto hated crescent over the sepulchre of the Christian God, than the Greek church established at Constantinople and Jerusalem, as the state religion. Like a decrepit and toothless ex-tyrant in exile, the Vatican is eager for any alliance that promises, if not a restoration of its own power, at least the weakening of its rival. The axe its inquisitors once swung, it now toys with, in secret, feeling its edge and waiting and hoping against hope. 
In her time, the Popish Church has lain with strange bedfellows, but never before now sunk to the degradation of giving her moral support to those, who for over 1,200 years spat in her face, called her adherents infidel dogs, repudiated her teachings, and denied godhood to her god. The press of even Catholic France is fairly aroused at this indignity, and openly accuses the ultramontane portion of the Catholic Church and the Vatican of siding, during the present Eastern struggle, with the Mohammedan against the Christian. When the Minister of Foreign Affairs in the French legislature spoke some mild words in favor of the Greek Christians, he was only applauded by the liberal Catholics, and received coldly by the ultramontane party, says the French correspondent of a New York paper. So pronounced was this, that M. Lemon, the well-known editor of the great liberal Catholic journal, The Debats, was moved to say that the Roman Church felt more sympathy for the Muslim than the schismatic, just as they preferred an infidel to the Protestant. There is at bottom, says this writer, a great affinity between the syllabus and the Quran, and between the two heads of the faithful. The two systems are of the same nature and are united on the common ground of a one and unchangeable theory. In Italy, in like manner, the king and liberal Catholics are in warm sympathy with the unfortunate Christians, while the Pope and ultramontane faction are believed to be inclining to the Mohammedans. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 15 Beloved ones of the mighty St. Germain's family, I trust I may bring to you tonight an understanding of some of the activities that the Ascended Host are constantly pouring forth to enable that which is constructive, to be protected and continue its blessing to mankind. Whenever a work of any kind is to be accomplished and something constructive drawn forth into outer manifestation, before that can be done, there must always be one or more of the angelic host who provide a focus of the violet consuming flame and the sacred fire's love into the physical octave to be the guard of the locality, and guard of the atmosphere in which the manifestation is to be drawn. Now just as you have insulation on the wires of your electrical apparatus, and that confines, so to speak, or separates the electricity within the wire from the static electricity in the atmosphere so you can use it in concentrated action, just so do we, from the inner standpoint, draw forth certain activities of the sacred fire into the outer physical conditions that surround mankind. And then after that focus of the sacred fire is concentrated and held protected for a certain length of time, held sustained, then into that does there descend the direction and the form, the concentration of the energy, the substance, the consciousness, and the design of what is to be brought into manifestation in the physical world. Now this has gone on through the ages, and everything that you have of modern civilization that is a convenience for you today, that you use just so naturally, has had to have the protection of the angelic host before it could be brought into manifestation. If you could have seen at the inner level what had to take place before the railroads were brought forth, before the steamboats were constructed and drawn forth over the last century or two, if you could have seen at the inner level what has to be done in preparation for some marvelous constructive blessing to be brought into the physical world for mankind to use, you would be utterly amazed. But nevertheless, the cosmic law is not only wise, it is always constructive, and it is always a blessing to life, and it is always the release of greater happiness. So, when you want to be happy, when you're thinking of your own happiness or that of others, try to realize, when you want to do something constructive, that if you will remember what the great divine plan is for the manifestation of something constructive, 
you can set into action these various activities of the sacred fire, to be the guard of that which you wish to produce to bless someone else, or to give its blessing to the world. Beloved Angel Deva of the Jade Temple If mankind but understood how the ascended hosts create a planet and the magnificent blessings and manifestations that are drawn into existence for mankind's use, if mankind understood this, there could be a very much greater release of the blessings which mankind creates in the continual use of energy, which is the law of action in this world. You might wonder sometimes why mankind is kept so busy doing something all the time. If that were not accomplished, if mankind, individuals everywhere were not allowed to use the energy of life in constructive activity and creation of that which brings, sometimes brings enjoyment, sometimes does not, it would be impossible for mankind to exist, and action go on, in order to hold constructive activities protected. If it were not necessary for individuals to create something that is constructive and continually use the energy of life and the consciousness to create something constructive, you not only would have inertia, you would eventually have the return to the second death, because when the creative activities of life, through the mind, and the love of the heart flame, when they're not allowed to go forth, and fulfill the divine plan and reveal its magnificent blessings and perfection, well then, it has to return to the universal. When the mighty Saint Germain decided to bring forth this instruction of the mighty I in presence, I took the responsibility of providing the atmosphere, purifying the atmosphere, and holding concentrated a certain amount of the sacred fire within this city, into which he drew that which he wanted to give as the illumination and instruction of the beloved mighty I in presence, in order to draw into that sacred fire the life streams, who were to accept this teaching of the mighty I in presence, who were to receive the light rays that he and others of the ascended host have poured forth into those who have come into the I am activity, to understand the law and use its power. This has gone on constantly, and therefore everything he wishes to give is at all times surrounded by and insulated by some cosmic activities of the sacred fire and the cosmic light substance. This is the great natural law of creation, and the producing of manifestation that is to build a civilization or produce perfection on a planet, until it one day becomes a focus for the power of the sacred fire's love, that produces a sun. This same thing goes on in the creation and activities of the powers of nature. When the mighty Lord, the Maha Chohan chooses to produce a manifestation through the powers of nature to give mankind a greater blessing, there must come always first those angels who draw certain activities of the sacred fire into balanced action, hold them concentrated and sustained, until the Lord the Maha Chohan designs and lowers into that the substance, and the divine pattern that fulfills the plan that he has to produce the manifestation that blesses the powers of nature, and blesses mankind through the powers of nature. Beloved Angel Deva of the Jade Temple <laughs>